0: Hi, how are you today? I hope you are having a wonderful day so far. My name is Bailey Sarian, and today is Monday, which means it's murder, mystery, and makeup Monday. If you are new here, hi, welcome, you made it. Every Monday I sit down, I talk about a true crime case that's been heavy on my noggin, and I also do my makeup at the same time. It just kind of keeps me busy. If you are interested in true crime and you like makeup, I would definitely suggest you subscribe. Thank you guys so much for all of your support and your love. Honestly, you liking, subscribing, commenting, disliking, not subscribing, all watching, it means more than you know. I just love you guys so much. Other than that, I will shut up and let's get into today's true crime case. So today's true crime case takes place in Sydney, Australia. And it's between the, um, 1980 to 1985, and this was like one of their biggest murder cases. So, if you're from Australia, you probably already know this one, but it was new to me. I never, I didn't, I didn't know about it. So, let me explain the family. Law Act was passed in 1976. Now this was allowing divorce to be seen by the federal government in Australia, rather than the Supreme Court. Now the grounds of divorce became less strict after the law was passed. So prior to this law being passed, the family law court couples, they needed a reason to file divorce. And it had to be like a good reason. You couldn't just file divorce because you weren't in love anymore whatever so some examples would be um, like insanity cruelty and then the most common would be adultery and there is a, a lot more but you just had to have a good reason to get a divorce and when they opened this new court i mean people came from everywhere to get out of their unhappy marriages i mean No longer did they have to hire a private detective to catch their partners committing adultery or try to prove that they were in an abusive relationship. You just didn't have to really have a reason as to why you were getting divorced. It was pretty cut and dry. Like I want out of this marriage and all right, You're good to go. So this is new, right? Like um, a lot of people are coming to get a divorce and at this new family court, because it's new things aren't necessarily running smoothly. Okay, family court, it could be like a pretty messy or like intense scene. I mean, some women were there trying to get a restraining order against their abusive husbands or they were just trying to get away from their crappy partners. The courts itself, it had really poor security and it was really overcrowded because people were coming in. There was just a lot of um, fights happening. There was a lot of frustration. It wasn't like a safe place yet. And then on top of that, The courts also seemed to really favor women um, in custody battles, especially. And then there were a lot of upset fathers. And honestly, looking back, even they acknowledged that, yes, they did tend to favor the women over men as far as like who had custody of the children. It just wasn't a very like equal system at that time. So people would leave there more, like just really upset. So then in 1979, Andrea Blanchard and Leonard Warwick went to the family court to pretty much file for divorce, but also determine custody of the children. So Andrea met her husband, Leonard, on a blind date in 1970. Um, Andrea was 18 at the time. When she saw him, it was love at first sight, you know. And they fell for each other pretty quickly, which no shame on that it happens. Leonard and Andrea, they ended up marrying in October of 1974. He, Leonard, was 27 at the time, and Andrea was 22 years old. For some reason, I didn't get a backstory on Andrea. I'm gonna tell you a little bit about Leonard. So Leonard was born in Helensburg, Australia, and sadly his mom passed away when he was only six years old, and this is obviously like a devastating to the family. Um, He had a younger sister who was a year younger than than him, she was five at the time, and she ended up moving in with their aunt, to make it easier on their father, because financial reasons, like it was just really hard on their dad. And then Leonard ended up dropping out of school at the age of 15 so he can help raise some money. So he started working on a mushroom farm. And then when he was 18, he was drafted and was forced to join the military. And Leonard was not happy about this. Like He was pissed. And then he was discharged about three years later. And then soon after leaving the military, he got a job as a fireman. Also, that's when he met Andrea and they started dating and they got married, blah, blah, blah. Not long after, unfortunately, um, a dark side came out of Leonard and he started to be very possessive or, or jealous. And he was like this when they were dating allegedly, but when they got married, it became very extreme. So he was extremely controlling, possessive and abusive towards Andrea. Leonard would show up to Andrea's work pretty often um, and unexpectedly just to check up on her. He would tell Andrea that she was not allowed to speak to her family um, or her friends. They weren't allowed to come over. She pretty much wasn't allowed to do anything unless Leonard said she could. Leonard was also very physically abusive towards Andrea and he would regularly, I can't say that word. So then in 1975, Andrea is just ready to get away from Leonard and she ends up moving out to live with her father. And while they were separated, Leonard would show up at her father's house. He would try and break in. He would try to convince Andrea to come back. Andrea decided she needed to get a restraining order against Leonard. Leonard would start to threaten Andrea's father, like saying that he was pretty much gonna kill him or wishing for him to die. And this really worried Andrea and she didn't want her dad to go through this and have to go through this extra stress. And she carried a lot of guilt because of this. And therefore Andrea decided to move back in with Leonard and she said she did it in order to protect her father. And I just need to add this side note and because I wanna shut it down because I know the comments are gonna happen. How do I word this without being awful? Hmm. Do not leave comments saying, well, why why didn't she just leave him? If he's physically abusive with her, why didn't she just leave, why did she go back? We're shutting that down. I'm gonna be deleting any of those comments and I'll tell you why. If you have never been in an abusive or controlling relationship, you have no idea how it goes okay when you are in this abusive toxic relationship you do things that you that make no sense okay you're just so brainwashed of course from an outsider looking in it's easy to be like why don't you just fucking leave he's beating you get out of there it's different when you're in it unless you've experienced it no we're not gonna blame her because i know those comments will come in and they piss me off. For me personally I've never been in a physically abusive relationship but I have been in a very possessive controlling relationship and it was very toxic and looking back I'm like what was I doing? What was I thinking? But in that moment I truly felt like I couldn't leave and it was like they had this they have this power over you and it's awful and unless you've been there you don't understand you just it doesn't make sense. Yes. So Andrea, she does go back to Leonard. And then some time passes and Andrea finds out that she is pregnant. And then that year their daughter was born. Her name is Trudy. And she was born in June of um, 1978. So in 1979, finally Andrea and Leonard, they go to the family court and they they try to file for divorce. Um, Andrea, she files for custody of Trudy and this, heavily upset Leonard. And when Leonard realized that she was trying to get full custody of Trudy, I mean, this set him off. And daily he was harassing Andrea over the custody battle. He told Andrea that he wanted Trudy at all costs. The courts end up granting Andrea full custody of Trudy and they grant visiting rights for or to Leonard, allowing Leonard to see Trudy at least um, twice a week. And then he also had to pay like $20 weekly for child support. And also he had to uphold the restraining order that Andrea had originally filed as well. Now Leonard over here, he didn't give two shits, (laughs) nay nay. Yeah, he just wanted his daughter. And I don't even, like this is a personal opinion that I'm about to say, okay? Cause I don't know if he cared for his daughter or not. You know, he could love her tremendously. But I personally think that he only wanted Trudy because he knew it was going to hurt Andrea. And the only way to control her would be to get Trudy or get custody of Trudy or just make her Andrea's life a living hell pretty much. Anyway, so Leonard would show up to Trudy's school um, and it wouldn't be on visiting time. He would just show up whenever he wanted to and then either take Trudy or like hang out with Trudy when he wasn't supposed to. Also during um, the days when he would be allowed to have Trudy, he would keep her longer than what he was supposed to or what he was allowed. So if it was two days, then he would keep Trudy for four days or for a week. And on one occasion, it really worried Andrea, and she calls Leonard over and over again, trying to find out, okay, where's Trudy? Like, what's going on? You need to tell me. Andrea didn't have a car at this time, so she couldn't just like drive over there and see what's going on. So she's calling, 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 and Leonard's not answering. He's just being a piece of shit. So then Andrea, she calls her brother, his name's Steven, and he was 25 years old at this time. Leonard has kept Trudy, like, I don't know what's going on. I can't get a hold of anybody. Can we take your car and go over to his house and get Trudy so of course um, her brother being supportive and understanding he's been like seeing her really go through all this he's like sure No problem. She also just liked the fact that like, she would have some kind of security when she goes over to Leonard's house to pick up Trudy. You know, if it was her by herself, Leonard, who knows what he could pull. Stephen takes Andrea down to Leonard's house and Steven goes up, he's like knocking on the door. Leonard answers and Steven's at the door and he's telling him like, hey man, you've had Trudy for way past your time. Steven even goes on to say like, we're not here to cause any trouble. I'm not trying to cause trouble. We just want Trudy back. Of course, this is irritating and upsetting Leonard. Steven tried to point out to Leonard that it just wouldn't look favorable in court for him if he was breaching the court orders, the piece of crap that he is. He pretty much just slams the door in their face and refuses to give over Trudy. But Stephen tried his best to just keep it as like calm and civil as possible. Anyways, Andrea went to the family court and said that Leonard wasn't giving Trudy back. They had to step in and eventually, I think it was like a couple days later, um, Trudy was returned to Andrea. So February of 1980, Steven, Andrea's brother. So he finished his work for the night and he headed over to his girlfriend's home, um, just a visit before heading home where he lived with Andrea, Trudy and their father. So they were all living together. Their father at this time, he was away on vacation. And so at home, it was just Andrea, Trudy and um, Steven. By the time Steven had gotten home that night, it was pretty late into the, the night, like almost midnight. He just kind of like quietly snuck in and then he went into the back of the house to his bedroom. And then that's where he just fell asleep for the night. In the early hours of the morning, it's believed to be anywhere from like two to 4 a.m. Somebody breaks into the house. An intruder breaks into the house and then they silently go into Steven's bedroom, which was like towards the back of the house, which that point everybody was sound asleep in the home and Steven was sound asleep as well. This intruder aimed a .22 caliber at Steven and shot him. The bullet entered just above Steven's right eye and it killed him instantly. The .22 had a silencer attached, so Andrea and Trudy, they didn't hear a damn thing. Okay, the shooter then wrapped a plastic bag around Steven's head to contain the bleeding so it didn't make the, like this fat mess and leave a trail. They wrapped Steven up in like his blankets that he was sleeping on. Somehow quietly carried Steven out of the house. So then the next day it was Trudy's second birthday or that same day if it was morning. Um, It was Trudy's second birthday and Andrea wakes up. She checks to see if Steven was home, but when she saw he wasn't home, she didn't really think twice about it. Like it didn't really face her, mostly because Steven would stay the night at his girlfriend's house pretty often. And so when he wasn't there it wasn't wasn't a big deal. But later that day the phone rings and Andrea answers it. Hello. And it was Steven's boss asking where Steven was because he didn't show up for his shift. And at that moment, Andrea was like, instantly Andrea said she was worried and she had that gut feeling that something was really, really wrong. Um, It was just very unlike him to not show up for work, but like not let them know, like it just wasn't like him. So Andrea then goes like into his bedroom and when she goes into his bedroom, she finds his wallet is on the bedside table. So Andrea then calls the police to file a missing persons report. And the police ask Andrea, is there any is there anybody that would wanna harm Steven? And she didn't even think twice. She instantly told police, her ex-husband, Leonard. Now as the days passed, family, the family and friends of Steven, they were all looking for him. There was just no luck. Nobody was having any luck finding him. No one was having any luck finding any clues. Nothing, he just vanished. So then about a week later, a group of friends are um, boating Jerusalem Bay at Karen Creek. It's about 25 kilometers north of Sydney. This group of friends is out on their boat and they see something floating in the water. Could you imagine? Gosh. Anyways, so the group of friends, they thought that it was a mannequin at first, but then once they got closer, they realized that it was a human body. They call police, as you should, and then the police came out and they were able to retrieve the male victim. And when they retrieved the male victim out of the lake, there was a rope that was like t- tied around his midsection, 11 bricks that were attached to the rope, and then there was another piece of rope that was tied around his neck with a garbage bag attached. Also, they see signs that the victim had been attacked by what was believed to be a bull shark in the area, and they believed whoever had placed the victim in the area tried to make sure he wasn't found by attaching bricks to the body. Whoever did this thought it would sink down and it would stay down, but this person hadn't taken into consideration that when he passed away, the body kinda like fills up with gases and you get bloated and like full of gas, it brought him to the surface of the water. Like it was stronger than the 11 brick. So later, yes, the victim was identified to be Andrea's brother, Steven, Um, and then a murder investigation was now underway. You know, when uh, when they look at Steven's body, they examine the rope, and they see that this rope was a special kind of rope, a rope that is only used and issued to all of the official firefighters. Do you remember what I said Leonard does? Well, if you don't remember what I said, Leonard worked as a firefighter, so. So when Andrea found out all this information, she knew it was Leonard. Leonard is brought in to be questioned by police. This is where Leonard got really difficult. So he petitioned his right to silence and he refused to speak. He refused to speak about where he was the night that Stephen was murdered, pretty much anything. He just refused to speak. Now remember, this is the 80s, and this is also Australia, so I don't even know how the laws work in general. But back then, from my understanding, you had to have physical evidence to charge someone with a a crime. The fireman's rope links to Leonard because he's a firefighter, but at the same time, they don't have any proof that it's Leonard's rope, do you see what I'm saying? So they really couldn't do anything about it. Police, they search Leonard's property, and the only piece of evidence they could find, a piece of paper, and it has the word rope written on it, they don't find, any other evidence and because of that, they are unable to charge Leonard with anything. There's gonna be a lot of names thrown at you throughout this whole thing and I'm gonna try my best to keep it simple. We'll see how that goes. Enter Judy. (laughs) So Judy is Andrea and Stephen's sister. The whole family is devastated by the loss of um, their brother, Stephen, but Judy, she ends up finding comfort in a new religion and she becomes a member of the Jehovah's Witness. So she invites Andrea and truly to join a few of their meetings with her and suggest maybe they become members of the Jehovah Witness as well. Like it's comforting to have this sense of community, especially in a time of, of loss. Now that will be important later. So going back to the family law court, so the judge who had first heard Andrea and Leonard's case, his name was Justice David Opus. Now correct me if I'm wrong, Australia, but from my understanding, they use the word justice in front of their names when they're like a, a judge, correct? So you know how we call people like Judge Judy? That's like the only judge I know, but they say Justice Judy. This guy, his name was, Justice David Opus. He was the one who first took care of Andrea and Leonard, their custody battle and divorce and stuff like that. So he was the one that granted Andrea full custody of Trudy with only visitation for Leonard. Now over time, Leonard was just being a shithead, not following the law and not even listening to anything Justice Opus was telling Leonard to do. And Leonard had proven over and over again that he was not gonna obey court orders. Like Justice Opus he threatens to charge Leonard with contempt of court and also orders Leonard's visitations stop until their next court hearing as punishment because he's not file he's not um he's not um wow, I just had the biggest brain fart that following the rules pretty much. So this pisses Leonard off. He wants his daughter, Trudy, and he even said, nobody's gonna get in his way. So then, June of 1980, Justice Opus returns home from work, And this is just before like 7 p.m. He's about to sit down for dinner with his wife and two kids. Um, And when he's like getting ready to sit down, the doorbell rings. And um, while getting up to go answer the door, the fire alarm from next door goes off. So there's this loud like, (laughs) Did you like my fire alarm? (laughs) You know how fire alarms are. They're just loud and annoying, but it's going off. Like it's really loud. So Justice Opus, He opens the front door and instantly when he opens the front door, he is immediately shot by a .22, the same gun that was used on Steven in the stomach. The noise of the shot, it's not very noticeable because of the loud fire alarms coming from next door. But after like a little bit of time, his wife notices that he's been at the front door for a while, so I should like go check on him. So she goes over to the front door and she finds him on his back unresponsive. So police and ambulances have a delayed response time due to another emergency phone call of a random bomb explosion. Sadly, Justice Opus was dead. Investigation starts right away and since the family court can be a place where like emotions run really high and people are really pissed off all the time, it's hard for investigators to narrow down who exactly would do this to justice opus. A $100,000 reward is posted for information on his death and people start to think that maybe the bomb explosion had been intended to be a way to hold up emergency officials in the first place which is why it took so long to get to Justice Opus's residence So then investigators, they pretty much make up this list of upset men that have been clients of Justice Opus and would rule them out like one by one because a lot of them had solid alibis. Once they got to Leonard's name on the list, they're like, here's that name again, Leonard. So immediately investigators go over to Leonard's, they get like, I think a warrant, I'm not sure what it's, Yeah, And investigators, they search Leonard's home, and they find government toilet paper in his property, which was taken from his work as a fireman. So they charge Leonard with theft so they can get his fingerprints. And this might not make a lot of sense, but they knew Leonard was tied to what was going on, but they didn't have physical evidence to arrest him, right? So when they were going and they were searching his house, they were like, we just gotta find something to arrest him so we can get his fingerprints, we can get him booked and then hopefully get him to confess, right? So that's what they did, they're searching his home and they find something as simple as toilet paper. I've also heard, heard it was towels. So one of those, or maybe neither, either way it was taken from his place of work. So when they saw that they were like okay that's it like we'll just book him on that and then we can get him in there. So they take him on that and then they get his fingerprints and whatnot and then once again when Leonard was being questioned he refused to speak to investigators. He maintained his right to silence. He refused to answer questions and his reasoning was that because he didn't want to incriminate himself. There was no physical evidence to charge Leonard with. When they had Leonard in their custody it was frustrating because they couldn't get anything. They couldn't get anything from him, right? So they had no choice. They had to let him go, which is like, oh my God, is what I wanted to scream. Now comes Justice Richard Gee. Now he stepped in to take over Justice Opus. Wait, what was his name? Justice Gee was now responsible for Andrea and Leonard's case. In 1981, Justice Gee ruled that Andrea and Leonard, their house, it needed to be sold and that the money would be equally divided between the couple. At that time, Leonard was living in it, not Andrea. So this would mean Leonard would have to move out. So of course this doesn't happen. And then in 1983, Justice G pushes again that the house needs to be sold and he enforces lesser visitation rights for Leonard to see his daughter. Of course, once again, the cycle begins. This pisses Leonard off off and he doesn't comply. He's not gonna move out and he's not gonna see less of his daughter. So of course during Leonard's visitation, he would again, keep Trudy for way too long. Um, It was supposed to be two days. He would keep her for four days. And it was this constant just back and forth. And he was just making Andrea's life a living hell. And poor Trudy, she was just in the middle of it. I forgot about her. So sad. Of course, Andrea then goes to the family court to let them know that Leonard has had Trudy for far too long. He's not giving her back. And Justice Ghee, he orders a warrant for police to take Trudy from Leonard and bring her back to her mother. And (laughs) Leonard was upset. This man, ew, he just... Mm. On the night of April, I don't know the date, April 1984, it was late at night and inside the family court building, a bomb went off destroying half of the building it was believed that this bomb was supposed to go off in the morning when it was filled with workers, but luckily it went off in the middle of the night. Uh, there was a, like a janitor there, I believe, but they were uninjured, luckily. So this happens and then soon after, Justice Ghee and his two sons are asleep at home and it's about 30 in the morning, everyone is sound asleep and a bomb goes off in front of his house and it completely destroys Justice key's home. Now, there were reports saying, if you were looking at the house, you couldn't even tell it was a house and they thought there's no way anybody survived this. There's just no way. But luckily, somehow, miraculously, nobody's killed. They have some serious injuries, but they were alive and they were going to be okay. The children and Justice Gee. So Justice Gee was taken to the hospital and that's where police meet up with him and ask him a couple of questions. Who could have done this? Do they even need to ask? Justice Gee doesn't even hesitate. And he's like, Leonard, le-nerd. So I know this is like so exhausting, but this is like, what the fuck, right? That was my responses the whole time. When I was reading this one, I was like, what? Once again, Leonard is the prime suspect. He had no alibi. um, And when he was brought in for questioning, you guessed it, he said nothing. He refused to answer any questions and police could not find any evidence linking him to the crimes, nothing we have a new judge or justice. So his name is Justice Watson. He took over Leonard's and Andrea's case the day after Justice Gee's house was bombed. This new justice is definitely um, reluctant to take on this case because of this ongoing pattern that's been happening. There were extra security measures that were brought in to keep members safe. And the cycle started all over again. So Justice Watson, he also restricted Leonard's time with Trudy, this pissed Leonard off. Leonard didn't wanna listen to court orders and he would keep Trudy. He would show up on his own terms and it was just a mess. On the morning of July 4th, 1984, Justice Watson and his wife, they were getting ready for the day, leaving to go to work. And Justice Watson, his wife uh, went to the front door and she opened it cause she's leaving. And as soon as she opened the door, a bomb goes off, <sighs> sadly. His wife was killed instantly and Justice Watson, he was injured with like the debris and he was taken to the hospital for his injuries. Once again, Leonard was interviewed the same night of the bombing and he just refused to speak. It's just exhausting, right? I know, I know, I couldn't believe this was a real story. Anyways, police investigators end up searching his house and the fire station where he worked. They find no physical evidence and they can't charge him with anything because of that. Nothing. The investigators knew like dude, it's, it's Leonard, we have to figure this out, but they can't do anything. All of the evidence is circumstantial and it's not physical. And at this point in the law in the 80s, you couldn't arrest someone based off of circumstantial evidence. Um, it had to be hardcore physical evidence proof now like people are really reluctant to work for the family court due to like fears legitimate fear for their safety and their family safety there were employees who were quitting because of what was going on and then there were um, also employees who just weren't even showing up they were like working from home or just like not coming in at all do you blame them and then this case pretty much turns into the biggest and one of the longest cases in the history of Australia. So time goes on and in February of 1985, Leonard goes to Andrea's home demanding to have Trudy. Leonard ends up getting physical with Andrea and he's trying to take Trudy away from her. I just had deja vu, whoa. Leonard gets physical with Andrea and tries to take Trudy from her but Andrea was able to like get away from him and lock herself in their home until Leonard finally left. Why the police wasn't called, I'm not really fully sure, but at this point, Andrea realizes she needs, she just needs to get the hell out of Sydney for her safety, for her daughter's safety, and for everybody else's safety. So Andrea ends up calling her sister Judy to help her pack and leave. Now at this time, Andrea had a new legal counsel. His name was Gary Watts, and he advised Andrea to be more harsh with Leonard. He knew of the history. When Leonard found out who the new legal counsel was, well, guess who was the new target? I feel so bad because, you know, like, no one really wanted to work with Andrea because of this whole mess, and it's like, ugh. This poor girl, Gary Watts, the new legal counsel. He recently had sold his property and it was also then being rented out to a man named Peter and his two siblings. So Peter had gone outside to work on his car because um, he had to take it in to get registered. You know how that goes. You need to like fix it up so it passes. Anyway, so Peter lifts up the, the roof of his car. No, not the roof, what's it called? Hood, Peter, he lifts up the hood of his car and he's kinda like fixing or tuning things up and then guess what he finds? He finds what looks to be a goddamn bomb inside of the engine or it's like next to the engine, it's somewhere in there. Peter got so lucky, the bomb, it didn't go off but if the car was started, it would have gone off and he would have he would have died. Police were called. It at first seems kind of random Uh, because this Peter guy, he has like no connection, why would he be a target? But they soon realized or they put the pieces together that the address was listed still as being Gary's address um, and it was like public information. Because of that, Leonard, he must have gotten the information, assumed that that was his house and went and put the bomb in his car, thinking it was Gary's car. Now this information about the bomb, it gets back to Andrea who knows once again, it was Leonard. And she's like, that's it, we need to get out ASAP. So she calls her sister Judy, Judy asks, Uh, the Jehovah Witness community to help Andrea and Trudy, which they find somebody who could rent out the home that Andrea was staying at. So Judy and friends from the Jehovah's Witness community, they help Andrea move quickly, like out of Sydney. And then at this time, Andrea's legal counsel, Gary, Gary Watts, the one where the bomb was supposed to be at, he resigns for his own safety. So he steps away from helping Andrea. So once again, the cycle repeats, okay? Leonard's home is searched. No physical evidence is found. Also police investigators, they question Leonard's co-workers and their co-workers are like yeah he's just he's really standoffish he's kind of mean. They tell investigators like he likes to hunt and he likes pornography but not much else that they could tell him. So Leonard like tries to go get Trudy or something but he eventually finds out that Andrea and Trudy they left. So when he finds out that they're gone and they left the home he loses his shit. So Leonard is asking around, like if anybody knows their whereabouts, and he's just becoming more and more upset. Leonard, he knew that Andrea's sister, Judy, was a Jehovah, Jehovah witness, and he calls the congregation asking, do you know where Andrea and Trudy are at, or do you know where Judy is at, do you know where they moved to? Do you know what happened to them? Most people would deny and say that they didn't know where they went, but one person told Leonard that they went up north, specify where they went. They just said that they went up north. So Leonard is, Like these people, the Jehovah's Witness people, they know where they're at and they're not telling me. It pisses them off. And so Leonard has this great idea. He's like, I'm gonna break into the Jehovah's Witness church, which I guess he was gonna look for any type of information, paperwork. He's looking for anything that will give him an idea or a clue or a location of where Trudy and Andrea are. The people who worked at the church came to the congregation the next day. They see that somebody broke in because there was a broken window, but also there was blood on the window. So there was a broken window and whoever like crawled through the window, cut themselves, they left their blood on the window. So police were called and they kind of just thought it was local homeless people um, who broke in because nothing was stolen or damaged besides the window. But like there was nothing else that was messed with. Anyways, but police did take a sample of the blood that was on the window area, but at this point, DNA testing wasn't a thing yet. They could test the blood and find out what blood type it was, but that was about it. A week later, that same window was broken into and it was just assumed that it was just again, hoodlums, because nothing was stolen and nothing was really messed with. But that following day, Okay, this motherfucker. During a church service at the Jehovah's Witness church or congregation, I'm not sure if they call it a church, either way, a bomb explodes in the middle of service. Many people were injured and sadly one member was killed. They were lucky though that the bomb didn't make the building cave in. Instead, it made the building explode outwards, but it was completely destroyed. Immediately, Leonard is the prime suspect. At this point, Judy, Andrea, um, they had moved out to Forster. I guess I should have looked up where that was. Police ended up contacting Judy and Andrea and they let them know like what had happened. And sadly, Judy like, just really blamed herself. She just felt really guilty that she had caused this to her congregation, to her church, to her community. Just really sad. And she tells police, it has, it's fucking Leonard. Like, I'm sorry for laughing, but when police are asking like, do you have any idea who this could be? It's like, you guys, it's fucking Leonard. Anyway, so once again, fucking Leonard, he's brought in for an interview. And at this time he had a new girlfriend, and her name was Lorraine. Lorraine is quoted as being a rather low class girl with tattoos and a rough manner, end quote. I feel like this is a a personal attack. So she's also questioned and Lorraine is kind of like a blabbermouth and she was like telling police that Leonard was looking for Andrea and Trudy, that he was getting really agitated and annoyed and Leonard pretty much shuts it down and he tells police investigators he's not allowed to interview her anymore. She has a right to silence and he like shuts her up, which is unfortunate because it seems like she, they probably could have got some information from her, but damn Leonard, he knew his rights. And again, once they questioned Leonard, they got absolutely nothing from him. So at this point, police were like, okay, we need a different approach, you guys. So they decide that they are gonna give Leonard constant surveillance. Undercover cops are just gonna follow him. They put a tracking device on his car. They have these undercover police officers like following Leonard everywhere, but they're keeping a distance, trying to make sure that they're not caught. But because Leonard is Leonard, he caught on. He knew that there were undercover cops and he would start doing like little weird things just to kind of throw them off. He would just kind of drive in like circles leading them nowhere. He would do uh, like load up his car with stuff and then go back into the house and it just kind of messing with the undercover police officers. He would also go up to them when they were sitting in their car and he would ask if they wanted like coffee or something. So he knew. So at this point Andrea was exhausted as I'm sure any of us would be and she felt like she was responsible for all of these deaths and she said you know what I'm just gonna surrender custody of Trudy to Leonard in hopes that the attacks and the deaths and the murders will end. Now at first when I read this I was like wait whoa, 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 whoa. What, you're gonna hand over your child to this psycho man? If I were in her shoes, I don't know what I would do either. I mean, it seems like she's just, she's trying everything, you know? And I don't, yeah, don't blame her, I guess. So ever since Andrea gave up custody of Trudy, the bombings and murders had stopped. And then according to Andrea, Trudy had lived with Leonard until she was about 16 and Leonard remarried and the wife didn't get along with Trudy and Trudy then moved out. Poor Trudy, I hope she's okay. So due to lack of sufficient evidence, the case goes cold for 30 years. A joke, right? I know, you don't gotta tell me that twice. So the investigation continues. And in 2012, detectives went through the case again since the laws had changed. So they were going through their cold cases, taking a a look at them again. In 2015, Leonard was finally charged with 32 charges. Four charges of murder were amongst those 32 charges. At that time in 2015, he was then 68 years old when he was arrested. Investigators say that they discovered new evidence with technology that wasn't around back then when the crimes were committed. Now they were able to get DNA from the blood evidence that they got way back from the church window. As of right now, July of 2019, a trial hasn't even taken place yet. Yeah, he's just in prison waiting for trial. Leonard is now 72. He was claiming that like his lawyer was bullying him. His legal representative decided to pull out and stop representing him. And then he didn't have money to get someone to represent him. And you can't go to trial if you don't have somebody representing you. And it's just been this whole like mess. Also Leonard stands by the fact that he is not guilty to these charges. And he stands by that. As far as what happened to Trudy and Andrea, I don't know. I guess Trudy got married and she has children of her own, Andrea. Poor Andrea, they were just put through the most. I'm not sure where Andrea's at. I was kind of looking up where Trudy was, but I felt like, you know, this. I'm sure she doesn't want that shit you know, just leave him alone. And that is the exhausting story about Leonard. And now the laws are different. Um, You can arrest somebody if there is circumstantial evidence. Of course, more goes into that, but it's not like it was when this shit went down, it's just gotten better. Exhausting, this man did so much damage, it's insane. I just have to say this, if you or a loved one are experiencing domestic abuse, you can get help and you can get the F out of there, okay? I know if you are stuck in this cycle, it may seem like you are trapped, you can't go anywhere, you don't have anywhere to go, you don't have money, you don't have anything, that could help you get away. But I am going to list in the description box where you can find help in your area because there are tons of programs that you can go to and programs that will help you find safe Places You can get out. So I guess we will see what happens to Leonard. I have a good feeling that uh, he's gonna be found guilty. Also, really quick, if you watched my Toy Box Killer video, it was about the Toy Box Killer and Elephant Butte. Truth or consequences, T or C, whatever. Anyways, news came out the other day that Cindy, David's girlfriend, the bitch is getting out. Monday, oh shit, today, fuck, she's out right now. Can you believe it? Yeah, I'm not even kidding. When I read that, I was like, wait, wait what, what, uh, uh, what? She's getting out today, Monday. She served 80% of her sentence. They said that she had good behavior. <laughs> Who knows what the, what the hell she's gonna do. I'm so confused because like the toy box thing was effed up. How is she getting? Be safe out there, please. Be safe out there. True the consequences. She's coming for you. Maybe she's changed. Anyways, I hope you have a wonderful day today. I love and appreciate you guys so much. I hope you have a wonderful day today. You make good choices. Please be safe out there. And I'll be seeing you guys later. Bye-bye.